My wife, Pastor Amy, we want to wish you all a Merry Christmas. We're so glad to see you this weekend. We've already had a great weekend, and we're going to have a great time today at one of our eight, eight Christmas services. Man, it's nine, nine Christmas services. It's incredible what God's doing in our church and how we're reaching our community, and, and our church family just keeps growing. So, so excited to have you with us this Christmas. We've been celebrating this Christmas season and talking about the Christmas story and in the Christmas story, we obviously see a lot of good, a lot of stuff that we can be joyful about, but there was also a lot of hardship. And it really fit in with what we wanted to talk about this year. The last few weeks, we've been talking about messiness and how there's messiness in our marriages and in our families. And today, I want to talk about how there's messiness in our world. Because the Christmas time is magical, it's joyful, it's a great time to focus on family and really celebrate the love we feel for each other and celebrate the peace and joy that God brings to earth. It's honestly, it's a really nice distraction from a lot of the mess, the scariness, and the tragedy that's happening in our world on a regular basis. And we've seen throughout history that as long as there has been Christmas, there have been people celebrating and people mourning. Side by side, there's been great joy and great sadness. For some of you, this has been a great season, a season of joy. And others of you would say it's been a difficult season. If you've lost someone recently, maybe you've gone through a hard time. The good news is that in the Christmas story, there is hope and encouragement for all of us, whether we're going through a great time or a hard time. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. But the wise men, they were, they were pretty savvy, and their spider senses were tingling, right? They knew Herod was a bad guy. I think they had that feeling, you know? So how, some people just put off kind of creeper vibes. That was King Herod. So then it says in verse 12, when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So the wise men, they go another route. They avoid the awkward meeting with King Herod. And then baby Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, they go to Egypt and they avoid King Herod who wants to kill Jesus. It seems like a happy ending to the Christmas story. But there's another plot twist. It's a plot twist that gets left out of a lot of the kids' Christmas plays. Because right? it would hurt their fragile little hearts. But you'll see in verse 16... It says, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. It's easy to celebrate the wonder of Christmas and forget the darkness in the Christmas story. As the star of Jesus rose that the wise men were following, 
Darkness was rising in Herod's heart. He was the king of the region, and he thought of himself as the king of the Jews appointed by the Romans, and he fashioned himself as the leader of the region. And, and he had a history of being paranoid and murdering dudes. And so whenever he sensed a threat to his rule, anyone who would come along to maybe usurp his power, he would have those people offed, so to speak. He had his own brother-in-law killed. Tragic. He had his mother-in-law killed. More understandable. <laughs> he, no judgment, okay? No judgment, King Herod. But then it gets worse. He has one of his wives killed and three of his own kids. I mean, you thought your family was messed up, right? If you have only killed two children or less, you're doing much better than King Herod. So don't feel so bad about your family situation. Might not be as bad as you thought. So King Herod, this guy who was paranoid, it's no surprise to hear that he would hear about this newborn king of the Jews, view that as a threat to his rule, and go to extreme and dark, tragic measures to take care of that threat. And he sent these soldiers to the region of Bethlehem and the surrounding districts. Historians estimate there were about a thousand people that lived in that region during the time. He said, kill all the newborns, the newborn boys, two years old and younger. So conservatively, they estimate that there were maybe a dozen, 20 boys that would have fit in that age range in that region at that time. And obviously you think about how tragic that would be. You can't imagine having a little precious child murdered because of some king's paranoia and threat to his rule. You know, and historians call this event the slaughter of the innocents. It's a tragedy right in the middle of the Christmas story, but I think it serves a purpose. It highlights and magnifies the state of darkness that is in our world. It was in our world then, and it's, it's still in our world today. Jesus was born into a world of suffering. And there is still suffering and darkness in our world today. Some religious leaders have said that suffering is an illusion, like Buddha said that. Uh, Buddha doesn't know what's up, because pain can be very real. Jesus, on the other hand, he told us the truth in John 16, 33. He said, in this world, you will have trouble and suffering. I mean, I appreciate Jesus just being honest. But one of the most common questions people ask today, Christians and non-Christians alike, both ask this question. Why does God allow suffering? Maybe you've asked this or heard someone ask it, or you've probably wondered yourself, why, if God is good, does he allow evil to take place? Why does he allow pain? Is he good or is he not good? Is he strong enough to do something about it or is he distant and detached? We hear about tragedies that happen, we witness tragedies that happen, and we normally ask why. And the short answer is, we don't know. We don't have the full answer. We can't understand everything that God is doing. We can't understand all of his ways. But just because we can't understand everything doesn't mean that we can't understand anything. There are some things we can understand through the truth of Scripture, God's Word. One time I was skiing with some friends, and we were up in Sholo, Arizona, skiing at the Sunrise Ski Resort. At the end of the day, I drove home, me and my younger brother, we were teenagers, and my friends mom's minivan, right? And coming down this two-lane windy mountain road is a scary road to drive on on a good day. But today it started snowing again. It was a full-scale blizzard. You could not see anything, anywhere. I was honestly terrified. I've never been that scared driving in a vehicle before. I felt like the smart thing to do would be for us to just stop 
But then you know if you've driven in a blizzard, there's cars following you. You don't want them seeing your taillights and running right into you. And eventually a semi-truck pulled in front of us. We came up behind it, and I've never been so glad to drive slowly behind a semi-truck in my entire life. Just saw those taillights, and I just said, let's follow those lights, right? Just keep following those lights. It will show us the way. Even though we can't see what's around us, they'll guide us home. Eventually, we got down into the valley where you can wear shorts again, and, and you can see your way around. But it's like that in the world today. There's darkness, there's tragedy. We don't know why. We don't have all the answers, but we do have some guiding light to give us hope and to show us truth. So we see guiding light. I want to share five points of guiding light with you to lead you through times of darkness and suffering, to give you peace and hope this Christmas season. First, God is not the creator of evil or suffering. He is not. Evil grieves the heart of God. God, when he created the world and everything in it, we know that he did a great job. It tells us in scripture, it says in Genesis 1:31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. He said, I'm not so bad if I do say so myself. This is very good. This is good work. Uh, and God, we have to understand about his nature. He exists in perfect relationship within himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, the triune God, right? And they live in perfect community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit loving one another perfectly. They really love each other. They're like, I love you. No, you're the best. No, you're the best. You're pretty great, right? So if you could hear them talking to each other, you'd be like, I want in on that. Well, God created us in his image. And he wanted us as people to be able to experience real love, real love, not programs love. And so he gave us freedom, freedom of choice, the ability to choose or reject, the ability to do good or to do evil. My little sister had a doll she got one time for Christmas where you pulled a string on the back. You know, have you ever seen something like that? Right, you pull a string and it gives you a message. The little doll's like, I love you. I thought it was creepy, you know. I saw the movie Chucky. I, I didn't want to know anything about this doll. I didn't trust that doll. But God didn't want us to be programs, robots that just, you know, I love you, God, on command. He wanted us to choose to accept him, and so he gave us freedom. So we have free choice, and we know that sometimes people choose to do good, and other times they choose to do evil. So we have to remember, first off, that we have freedom as human beings, so we should not choose God. We should not choose, I should say, to blame God when we choose to do wrong from our freedom of choice. Then in our world, we should understand that there's a natural evil, is what theologians call it, where, where storms and disease and decay take place, which cause suffering. To understand that, you gotta realize, basically mankind told God to take a hike. And when they did, it affected all of nature. Disease and decay and hardship entered this world. And you wonder, you know, well, had God foreseen this? Did he know that when he created mankind, gave them free choice, that all of this would happen? And the answer is yes, of course he did. He's God. He knows everything. It's one of the benefits of being God. It's kind of like though how a lot of parents, they plan to have a family. And they know that they're going to have kids. And one day those kids are going to disappoint them and make them angry, really angry sometimes, and cause them to lose sleep and maybe cause them to shed tears. But those parents say, even still, it's worth it. It's worth going through that to have those kids. And that's what God said about us. He said, these people are going to cause me some serious heartache, but it's worth it because I love them and I want to have a relationship with them. Isn't God good? Here's the second point of guiding light 
to lead us through dark times. Suffering isn't good, but God can use it for good. Understand the Old Testament story of Joseph. Joseph, who was the youngest of 12 sons, and, and his brothers beat him up, threw him in a ditch, sold him into slavery. Joseph was imprisoned, enslaved, had a pretty generally rough time. Again, this should encourage you if your family is messed up. It's not that messed up, right? You're doing pretty well. Uh, Joseph, though, he went through this process of being in prison, a slave, and by God's grace... He rose to power, and he became the second in command of all of Egypt. And eventually, he came face to face with his brothers in Genesis chapter 50. If I was Joseph, I would have said, how you like me now? The tables have turned, son. It's going to be a bad day for you. But here's what Joseph said. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Do you think Joseph knew when he was in prison that God was going to turn this situation around for good? I don't think he knew for sure. Maybe he had faith. A lot of times we're in the middle of hardship and we don't really know what it's going to look like yet, but we can know that God will and can use our situation for good. He can. Some people would say, no, not my situation. It's been too tragic, too painful, too terrible. God could not use my situation for good. But you need to know the truth is that God has already taken the very worst event that has ever happened in the history of the universe, the death of his son on the cross, and turned it into the very best event that has ever happened in the history of the universe, the atonement of sin for all mankind. Come on. So if God can do that, if he can take the, the worst thing that ever happened and turn it into the best thing that ever happened, he can take your tragedy, your hardship, your suffering and pain, and he can turn it for good. He can use it for good. But you should know the disclaimer is it's only for those who love him. Romans 8 says, for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, God works all things together for good. That's just one of the many reasons why you want to get in on God's family. You want to be a part of his tribe. You want to be one of his people because you know that when you are, you have that promise to stand on no matter what you go through. Even if you don't understand why now or even in this lifetime, you know God will use it for good. Amen. Here's the third point of guiding light. Ultimately, suffering will cease and God will judge evil. That's good because we know that there are some evil and evildoers who need to be judged. People will say, well, if God has the power to eradicate evil and suffering, then why doesn't he do it? We sing about peace on earth now at Christmas, but obviously it's not just peace on earth. But the answer is just because he hasn't done it yet doesn't mean that he won't do it. You don't want to criticize God before you see the end of the story. You wouldn't read the first hundred pages of a book and then criticize the author, right? He left a lot of loose ends, didn't really tie up the plot or resolve the issues of the characters. Some of you are like, books, what? Okay, so <laughs> you wouldn't want to watch the first half of a season on Netflix before you criticize the producer, right? You want to see the end of the story. Don't criticize God until you see the end of the story. We ask, why does God let bad things happen? But honestly, I think a better question, a more just question is, why does God allow bad people to live? Right? And that's what I have to wonder, because I read Romans chapter 3. 
And if I'm going to criticize God for letting bad things happen, I should ask, why does he let bad people live? And then I should think, Romans 3 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means I have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means I have caused other people pain and hardship. I have caused suffering in other people's lives. Why did, not, why did God not just snuff me out and avoid that pain and suffering? Well, it's because he loves us. He's a merciful God. It says in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, the Lord who promises to end evil and suffering, he is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God, he said, I'm going to wait just a little longer. I'm going to wait a little longer so, so she can just have time to get into this family. I'm going to wait just a little longer so, so they can join in, so, so that he can repent, so that he can be saved, so that she can be forgiven. He's waiting just, just a little longer so that your family members can be saved, so that your friends can, can be a part of God's family. It's because he's merciful and patient. Isn't God good? Here's the fourth point of guiding light. Our suffering will pale in comparison to what God has in store for his people. Now, we don't want to minimize pain and suffering because pain and suffering is real. We've all experienced it in this room. If you have not yet, it must be fun to be eight years old still. You're going to have a great time tomorrow, all right? So enjoy the fairy tale while it lasts. But the rest of us have experienced pain and suffering, and your pain and suffering is as real as the next person. So we're not trying to minimize that at all. But here's what Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 4. For our light... And momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And this was written by Paul, a guy that was beaten, whipped, shipwrecked, and bitten by snakes. This guy knew hard times. But what did he say? Our troubles in the big picture are light, and they only last for a moment. It's like if you started 2018 on the first day, January 1st, 2018 had the worst day of your life. Let's say you crashed your car, you got a speeding ticket at the same time, you lost your job, your portfolio dived, you lost all your savings, and your kids got sick. It'd be a terrible day. You had to go to the dentist and had to get a root canal with no painkiller, right? Like, terrible day. But then from that day, you went forward in 2018 with the best year of your life, got a new car, better car, got your dream job, got a promotion, got a raise. Your marriage is the idyllic, romantic whirlwind. You have a family member that wins the lottery and leaves you $100 million, right? you like, I like this church, man. I like this pastor. I'm speaking prophetically over your life, I believe. <laughs> At the end of the year, if someone asked you, how has your year been? You'd say, great. It's terrific. But I could ask, well, wasn't it difficult there at the beginning? Didn't you have a really tough time? And you say, yeah, I had a really tough time. It was painful. But honestly, that one bad day is nothing compared to all the goodness that followed that. And a lot of us, we go through hard times now. We go through really difficult times now, but we have to have a big picture perspective. After 300 million days of awesomeness in heaven, if I was to come up and find you and say, how's your life been? You would say, it's been amazing. Right? Well, but wait, wasn't it really tough there for a little while? I thought you went through some really hard things. You went through some really big disappointments and letdowns. You'd say, yeah, it was, it was hard. It was painful. There were some really dark moments. But those moments pale in comparison to the outpouring of God's goodness and blessing that I have now experienced. So I have the full picture. 
Here's the fifth point of guiding light. In suffering, we can turn bitter or turn to Jesus. It's a choice. You can turn bitter or turn to Jesus, but you cannot do both. When we experience hard times, some people, they become bitter, hard-hearted, angry, mean, and closed off from other people. That's a bad choice. Or you can turn to God and let him soften your heart and heal it. Become compassionate to those who are also hurting, growing in faith and joy that surpasses understanding. We ask, why? Why, God, have you allowed hard times like this in my life to happen? But God's answer was not an explanation. It was the incarnation of Jesus into this world. Jesus came and he suffered alongside us as men and women so that he could relate to us. He wanted us to know that God understands our pain. We pray to a God who has also suffered. There is nothing you've experienced that Jesus has not also experienced. Are you broken and and suffering? Jesus was broken for us. Have you been cast aside? Jesus was despised and rejected. Do you ever cry out that you cannot take anymore? Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Are you misunderstood? He was falsely accused. Are you betrayed? Well, he was sold out. Jesus is there in the lowest places of our lives, and he has suffered the way that we have suffered. And then what's more, as believers, think about this. We have the Spirit of God in us. That means that Jesus feels what you feel. When you're celebrating and filled with joy, he is there celebrating alongside you. And when you are suffering and mourning, Jesus is mourning with you. But he did not come into this world to achieve sympathy. He came to achieve victory. We read John 16, right? It said, in this world, you will have trouble and suffering, but you have to see the back half. He said, take heart, have courage, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. This is so good. Jesus did not say to us, well, deal with it. He did not say, meditate yourself to a higher state of consciousness or numb your pain with substance or bury your head in the sand. He said, I am going to come into your world and overcome your world. I will bring light into your darkness and lead you out of it into salvation. That is Jesus. We've seen the darkness in this world, but we have to remember what Jesus said. He said in John 8, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Nobody needs to remain in darkness. Nobody needs to remain overwhelmed by suffering and sin because there is a light that shines in the darkness, as we sang, and his name is Jesus, the light of the world. You can follow him to hope and salvation. That is the good news of Christmas, and that is what we celebrate. No matter what we're going through, good days and bad days, we can remember what it says in Psalm chapter 33. We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. No matter what you go through, no matter who you are, where you've been, and where you're going, if you have a relationship with Jesus, he gives you so much hope. 
So much hope. Jesus offers strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. We used to sing that hymn, great is thy faithfulness, that no matter what we're going through, God is faithful. When other people fail us, God is faithful. And we have the promise that Jesus is going to right the wrongs of this world. But in the meantime, he gives you strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. That is good news. That is better than a fairy tale ending because we're not living in a fairy tale. We have a real savior who has overcome our real problems and given us real hope. That is the good news of Christmas. And maybe you're here and you need to be reminded of that strength and hope that you truly have through Jesus. If you're going through a hard time, then remember that and take strength through Jesus. He'll give you strength and he'll carry you through this season. If you're going through a good time, you can celebrate that. Remember what God has done for you. Some of you, you might have come to church today and never accepted the greatest gift ever offered, the gift that Jesus came into this world to bring us, the gift of hope and salvation. Through him, we can be forgiven of our sins because we all have sin that we've talked about. We've all fallen short of God's standard. We all need to be forgiven. But Jesus, he came, he grew up, he went on, and as we know, he died on the cross, taking on the penalty for my sins and your sins so that one day he could offer us this gift of forgiveness. Then he, he rose from the grave so that he could offer us the gift of eternal life. Now, we as human beings who have free choice, we have to decide to reject that gift and say, no thanks, I'm going to do it on my own, or say, yes, thank you, Lord. I receive this gift. I accept you into my life. I want to be forgiven. I want to be saved. I want to know you. Would you bow your head? I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes for a moment of privacy between you and God. Maybe you're here right now and you need to say, I want to accept Jesus. You know in your heart that there is something missing in your life. Well, this is your opportunity to experience the true meaning of Christmas and receive the best gift ever offered. Jesus himself, God with us in the flesh. He came to suffer beside us and make it possible for us to be saved. And if you feel God pulling on your heart this morning, it's not an accident. He wants to have a relationship with you and he's hoping that you will open your life up to him and receive him into your life. He wants to receive you into his family. Maybe you're here and you say, I'm ready to take that step of faith. Well, the Bible says that if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a promise. So if you're ready to do that today and accept him, I'm gonna invite you just to do that with me right now. Just pray right now and say, God, I know that I've sinned and I need your forgiveness. I want to be right with you. I believe that Jesus took my place on that cross and he died on my behalf so I could be forgiven. So I'm asking you to forgive me. And I believe that Jesus rose again, conquering sin and death. So I thank you for eternal life. I know I have that promise now. Lord, thank you for being with me. Thank you for loving me and making it possible for me to be saved. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm gonna invite you to stand to your feet. And as you do, I'm gonna just respond to anyone who just prayed that prayer. One, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to know that you're not in this alone. We're here as a church to walk alongside you. I wanna encourage you to keep coming to church, become a part of the church community, and allow us to help you in your journey of faith. 
And two, we want to celebrate with you. We always celebrate whenever anyone receives this great gift of salvation. So if you just pray that prayer, I'm going to invite you to shoot your hand up on the count of three. We're not going to embarrass you, but we're going to celebrate with you and cheer. One, God loves you. Two, if you pray that prayer, just shoot a hand up real quick. Three, that's awesome, amazing, so good. We love it. Come on, church, let's help them out. So awesome, man. 